0: Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. I want to invite you to visit my website, thelastsymptom.com, which is full of free resources and encouragement for those doing this work for themselves. And while you're there, please consider supporting my work by either scheduling a one-on-one conversation with me or with a financial contribution. It's these forms of support which allow me to do this work. I got some hate mail on my YouTube channel this week and I wanted to share it with you. The person who I suspect is a regular critic who's been following me around for a while, had this to say, Why is it you always talk around and away from questions and so vaguely? Seriously, you sound like a total fraud narcissist. Word salad and all. Circular, meaningless con artistry. What was my topic of last week's episode. Well, you're going to love this. The topic or question that I presented in that episode was what is the greatest obstacle to recovery? The answer that I gave clearly in that episode is that we as individuals are our own greatest obstacles to recovery. That's it. That's it. That that is the answer. Is there anything vague about this? For 20 minutes in that program, I explain how it's we ourselves who get in our own way and that we ourselves fight against outside direction and help. And just to illustrate how true this is, I gave a personal example of somebody trying to help me in the past. And instead of accepting that help, I detailed how I I rebelled against it, and I instead attacked the person trying to provide that help. Now, keeping all this in mind, let's read this person's comment again, and uh, I'd ask you to pay attention to the irony. The person says... Why is it you always talk around and away from questions, and so vaguely? Seriously, you sound like a total fraud narcissist, word salad and all, circular, meaningless con artistry. So do you catch that? The question was, what is the greatest obstacle to recovery? And the answer that I gave as plainly as possible is that people themselves are their own greatest obstacles. And this person listened to that program where I explicitly answered this question and gave real-life examples. And the only thing they've walked away with is that I'm a vague con artist. Brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant. Brilliant. I could not have scripted a better or more timely real-life example to hammer home my, my very point. <laughs> so thank you, secretive hidden person. <laughs> thank you for illustrating exactly what I was talking about in that program. Now, I could act, I could act like what other people think and say. Never has any effect on me whatsoever, just like water off a duck's back, right? Especially because this would probably drive hateful people bonkers. Since what they really want is for their hateful words to prompt a reaction, right? So in most cases, I would just ignore these types of things. But in the interest of authenticity here, I'm going to give you an honest admission today. And the author of that comment is probably going to hear this and I just don't care. That's all right by me. The truth is, upon seeing this person's comment for the first time, I felt hurt. That's right. I'm a normal person, remember? I have feelings and my feelings were hurt. Because frankly... I don't think the person really believes that I'm a narcissist, con artist, fraud. They know that I know what I'm talking about. Anybody with a brain knows that I'm not making up the fact that I had borderline personality disorder for over 30 years or that I escaped it. A person doesn't just wake up one day and fake profound intimate knowledge of such topics. So what this means is that the person just really hates my guts. For whatever reason, they just really dislike me as a person. Not my message, but me. And they dislike me so much that trying to hurt me brings them pleasure. Think about that. Trying to hurt me brings them pleasure. Wouldn't your feelings be hurt to know that somebody dislikes you so much that they actually feel pleasure from trying to cause you pain? So this is the aspect of it that hurts my feelings. Here I am trying to help people, and to do this, I regularly share very personal details about myself and my experiences. Often, these are details that paint aspects of my past self in an extremely negative light, not a positive light. How many of you are doing this? <laughs> How many of you openly share things about yourself with thousands of strangers that's going to make you look like a total idiot? well, I do it weekly. I work extremely hard every week for people and devote much more time and energy to it than I ever invested in my past traditional 40-hour week jobs. And I do it all while being more transparent and genuine with thousands of total strangers, which is exhausting. That, it's exhausting. You know, when I tap into a lot of my feelings and Memories of my experiences and how I felt, and I share those things with you, they exhaust me. A lot of times after I do this program, in fact, as I've explained in the past, I'll take a day off because I just, it just wears me out. Those memories, you know, and all the related emotions that are tied up with those memories can be exhausting. All this sacrifice, for mostly selfless reasons, just for somebody to come along who doesn't even know me, to despise me, to despise me and actually exert energy and devote time to following me around and despising me more. Now, maybe they feel like the reasons for their hate are valid, and they do have the right to feel any way they want about me. And, at the same time, I feel like in this case, it's constructive to reply to the comment they left on my YouTube channel because this is not the first time I've been accused of being vague and talking around answers. Now, I suppose I could ask and answer questions this way. Question What causes borderline personality disorder? Answer Parental Emotional Abuse. Next. Question What is the cure to borderline personality disorder? Answer Accurate education, genuineness in approach and insight. Next. You know, I sincerely believe that this is what people who complain about my approach think they want. As some of you know, I'm a medical—traditionally, I've traditionally I've been a medical interpreter, Spanish interpreter in the medical field. And uh, it always amused me when people demanded I'd walk into a, a surgery or something, and the surgeon, who's making $2 billion a, a minute on that surgery, you know, so he's got a big head, would say things to me like, uh, now listen— I want you to give me a word-for-word interpretation. That's how I want you to do your job. I want you to to do your work word-for-word. Whatever the patient says, I want it word-for-word interpreted back to me in English. Does that surgeon really know what he's asking for? No, he don't. Because word-for-word doesn't work. Instead, what intelligent people want when they're asking for an interpretation, when they're, when they're working with an interpreter and they're talking to another person who uh, speaks a language that is not their own, you don't want a word-for-word interpretation, believe me. What you want instead is a meaning-for-meaning interpretation. Why is that? Well, it's because of the very nature of language. You know, it's just the very nature of language and the way it is, the way it operates. And only people who have no comprehension whatsoever of the nature of the true nature of language and its complexities will ask for a word-for-word interpretation. Let me give you an example. My Mexican audience knows that if I say, estoy hecho de goma, what I'm literally saying, if you wanted a word-for-word interpretation for that, Estoy hecho de goma. The literal word-for-word interpretation would be, I'm made of rubber. Because it's an idiomatic expression. What does I'm made of rubber mean? If somebody told you that, would you understand what it meant? No. Because word-for-word in that case does you no good because you're not getting the meaning. Now, If somebody says, estoy hecho de goma, and you say, I want a meaning for meaning interpretation, I could say, I'm hungover. That's what I'm made of rubber means in Mexican Spanish. I'm hungover. Do you see how word for word in situations like this does not do you any favors at all? Really what you want is meaning for meaning. I'll give you another example from Spain. Tener resaca. Literally, word for word means to have an undertow. To have an undertow. But now, if I'm interpreting that meaning for meaning, again, it's to be hungover. A person drank too much the night before, and now they're suffering the after effects, the natural consequences of having drank too much. Now, the reason why I bring up this example, this interpreting example, is because many times people feel like they know what they want and they demand it. But anybody with any skill, anybody with any true skill, knows not to give them what they want. Because it's not what they need. And they're just overcomplicating. They're they're complicating the situation for themselves by, by asking for that. So, back to my example in the work that I do. I could ask and answer questions just like that robot voice I did earlier. Question, what causes borderline personality disorder? And I believe that people who complain about my approach think that's what they want. But are answers given this way any good when they're being heard by people who can't possibly understand why the answers are, in fact, the answers? No, anybody listening would reject them out of hand. Why? Because it's like being spoken to in a foreign language. Nobody's going to grasp why that answer is, in fact, the answer. So gradual patient, comprehensive explanations, which lead up to the answer. This is what you get from me. And yes, I do expect listeners to exert themselves a bit and do some of their own thinking along the way. Do you see how me expecting you to do some of your own thinking, leading you up, but then letting you go the last little bit yourself... Do you see how wonderful that is of me to do that for you? But this individual can go ahead and call it word salad and circular meaningless con artistry all they want, and then they can go pout about it. In the meantime, what is he or she doing? Well, they're they're demonstrating the very topic of last week's show. They themselves are blocking any possibility of real insight or progress for himself or herself. It's their attitude. Their attitude. Do I have any control over his or her attitude? Not at all. So, there's no question that this person is his or her greatest obstacle. And if you want to talk about con artists, this individual is his or her Biggest con artist in his or her life. He or she, himself or herself, is his or her own greatest con artist. Do you see how? Because they've convinced themselves, they've created a narrative in their mind about me that protects their way of continuing to do things. So they're never going to get better. As long as this is in play. I'm not saying they're never going to get better. My hope, you know, as much as hurtful as this person has been to me. I do wish good things for them. And it is my hope that they stop tripping over their own feet. They stop being their own worst obstacle in this. And and their attitude changes. So in that regard... I, I feel optimistic for the person because that possibility does exist. You know, maybe, who knows, uh, maybe their feelings about me will change. But that's going to, you know, that's going to be work that they, they're going to have to do. Now, if you'll notice, the person says, why do you always sound, why do you always sound like a total fraud? So we can safely assume that if I always sound this way to the person, it's this isn't somebody who's just simply listened to me once or twice. No, nah, this, this person regularly listens to me, tunes in regularly to see what I have to say. By the way, you know that I have trouble saying regularly, uh, so you get a kick out of that. Well, let's move on. And it's a bit crazy. You know, as I said earlier, I don't think this person truly believes I'm a fraud. I don't think they truly believe I'm a con artist. After all, how many people that you're convinced are total frauds and con artists? Do you continue to expose yourself to every week? <laughs> Interesting question, right? So the person is either just angry at themselves for their lack of progress, and they're taking their frustration out on me. Or the person is insane. You know, that's a possibility as well. I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. But listen, as a sane person myself, I can tell you that when I'm exposed to people who I am convinced are total narcissist fraud con artists, and the only thing I have to do To not be exposed to that anymore is for me myself to click an unsubscribe button. I myself and the only reason I'm being exposed to that person in the first place and I myself and the only person preventing myself from not continuing to be exposed to it. Believe me, the problem gets solved. Click. It's not like I'm Sneaking into this person's bedroom every night, and uh, giving them lectures. No, they've subscribed to me. They, they search my videos out or my podcasts out, and they they choose to listen to them. What what control do I have over that? So I irritate this person so much, but it has not occurred to them to just stop listening. Or to stop watching. Ay ay ay. Well, there's so much more I could say about that, but uh, let's let's stop here and move on to the next topic because we've got a lot to talk about today, and I just kind of want to breeze through it. What is the difference between an emotion and a feeling? Now, I originally responded pretty tartly, I reckon, to this. Not tartly, I just direct and uh, succinct. And then later I started thinking, well, I should probably go into more detail because a lot of people don't have the context of my answer, uh, the, the context in which I'm giving my answer, all right? So here's the thing. Feelings and emotions are the same thing. They're the same thing. Now, some in the professional community enjoy teaching a distinction between emotions and feelings. When they do this, they simply complicate things for people unnecessarily. In no way does making a distinction between emotions and feelings constructively contribute to your efforts toward emotional health in any practical way. If there were any differences between the two things, and there aren't, those differences would be philosophical differences and completely irrelevant for any practical purpose related to moving from emotional unhealth to emotional health. These same types of professionals like to argue That shame and guilt overlap. That in some circumstances, shame can be good. And so on and so forth. These types of philosophical beard-stroken discussions, again, are false, for starters. But worse, they are time-wasters they only serve to complicate things which are not complicated and confuse people who are trying to understand things clearly because why because they have to for their own sanity and their own lives are are involved so that this explanation doesn't contribute to the confusion let me tell you that shame is never constructive in fact In the past, I've described how very few things in life are truly black and white, non-subjective. Shame is one of those things. It's just like the fastest a thing can go is light. Shame is never constructive. There are no exceptions, so there's no reason to waste time imagining exceptions in parallel worlds or on a microscopic scale or would shame be okay if we were all born with three brains? This sort of philosophical grandstanding works against people and professionals engage in these sorts of things to stroke their own sense of intellect. Do you see why people do that? A person who is not very intelligent thinks, truly thinks... That the more complicated they can talk about a thing, the more complex they can get into it, that this is a sign of intelligence. But is that true? Mm -mm. It's not true at all. Genuinely smart people don't do that. Instead, genuinely smart people always simplify a thing, they always knock it down to its simplest terms, it, it don't matter who you... Do you know Albert Einstein, the smartest man in, in recent history, this was his whole way of operating, was taking very complex things and breaking them down, simplifying them to their most simple terms. Not to uh, talk bad about anybody, but... You know, in the interest of your recovery, in the interest of the sources of information you choose to listen to, typically the more complex somebody presents something, the lower their intelligence is. Does that sound uh, counterintuitive? It might. But truly, that's, that's the way it is. The simpler a person presents information to you the smarter they are. You see, they're able to take complex things and bring them down and simplify them and teach them to others in ways that are easy to grasp. The focus of my approach for you is and has always been simple yet profound and above all, practical. Practical. Do you know what that is? It means if you can't use it in your everyday life, it's not worth anything to you. That that's truly what that means. It can be the most interesting information in the world. If it if you can't use it to benefit yourself in your day to day life, what good is it? Don't you want practical results, right, in your recovery? Sure you do. Practical, above all practical, is is the focus of my approach for you. Now, the reason why this is the focus of my approach for you is because it's exactly the type of approach which allowed me to maintain focus on the things that mattered and not get distracted by bullshit which is simply time and energy waste and misdirection. And the result of this was that I achieved genuine recovery. So, I hope that simple, profound, and practical will be the approach all people who trust me will adopt for themselves. So, be very careful when things start seeming too complicated, when your head starts to swim with confusion you know, when you you kind of start to get lost in your head. This is usually a sign that you yourself are overcomplicating something or you're being suckered into overcomplicating something by whichever authority on the subject you've chosen to listen to. And there have been people I've talked to, and I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you a real-life example. There's, there's one person that I've talked to several times, The first conversation I had with this person, I was explaining things very clearly, very simply. I was putting them in the the simplest terms that I could present them to this person. And the person was taking that and overcomplicating it. Everything I said, the person took, imagined more to it than what I had actually said, and overcomplicated it for that person's own self. And during that conversation, I mentioned this to that person. You know, uh, I think you're overcomplicating it. You know, I'm I'm stating something very simple, and you're trying to apply it to very complex things uh, when it's really, it's no more complex than what I'm presenting it to you. Typically, when people have this tendency, their progress is slow. And in question from the beginning because a lot of these people, you know, they, they enjoy approaching things that way. So it's a little disheartening for me as a teacher to try to roll something out for somebody as plainly and, and as sweetly and, and cleanly as I can. And then them taking it and overcomplicating it to the point where. It, it has no effect on them. It does them no good. But in this case, the person listened to what I said. The person listened to the fact that I said, you're overcomplicating this. Simplify it. Pull back. Pull back and try to see it in a simpler light. In the very next phone call, which I mean, it was like a week later, this person had gone from that to having dozens of profound insights of practical, profound, life-changing insights. And to this point, I've had three or four co- uh, phone conversations with that person. And uh, that person has, in weeks, in just weeks from that initial phone conversation where I thought, wow, uh. This is going to be a lot of work from that to where she is now is incredible. Simply from me telling her, it, you're tripping over your own feet here. Simplify it. Simplify it. Amazing. Amazing. I'm so fond of this person and uh, she's not the only one. I've got several other people who, uh, you know, who who are who I feel are just making tremendous progress that way. So th- the reason why I say this is because it's not always the source of information that is overcomplicating things. Sometimes it's you yourself overcomplicating it. Other times it's the source of information. The source is too complicated. If it's too complicated they they say And when I say they, I mean I say, and other people agree with me, that a person who can explain things in simple terms, can explain very complex things in simple terms, that is proof positive that they understand that thing. But the person who has to resort to very complex explanations, very highfalutin words, and... uh, this illusion of intelligence, those people don't truly understand intimately that subject because anybody who understands a thing truly, profoundly, and intimately has no trouble or little trouble explaining it in simple terms, right? That's also the difference between a good teacher and a bad teacher, by the way. You know, there are speakers that I hear explaining things or they're books that I've picked up from the library and I get uh, three paragraphs in and I say, this person's not worth my time. They don't know what they're talking about because they sound too damn smart. (laughs) They're trying to sound too damn smart. It's too complex. It's not that the information is complex. There's no such thing, by the way, nothing in the world is so complex that it can't be explained simply. So if you pick up a book And it makes your head swim. It's not that you're stupid. It's that the author is not a very good author. The person's not very smart. They don't truly understand what they're talking about very well. Otherwise, they'd be able to explain it simply. Now, what happens when your head starts to swim? When things start to seem too complex? Take a break. Just take a break, take a breath, pull back, and ask yourself, how am I overcomplicating this? How can I break this down to its simplest terms? All right. So again, the answer to the question, (laughs) lest I be accused of uh, (laughs) being vague, the answer to the question is, First of all, the question is, what's the difference between feelings and emotions? And the answer is, there is no difference between feelings and emotions. There is zero practical difference between feelings and emotions. They're the same thing. And anybody making a distinction is not doing so for the benefit of your recovery, your practical day-to-day recovery, but rather because they want to overcomplicate things and sound smarter than they are. So they do it for themselves. They, they do it for their own ego. And anybody who has to try to sound smart is not very smart, all right? There's your pattern right there. There's your rule of thumb.